Our scripture reading is Matthew 6, verse 13. 6, 13. Listen to God's word. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is his word. Last week, we looked at the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we take seriously that petition and the implications of it, not only are we going to acknowledge, but deeply know and and feel our need of the gracious and full forgiveness of God the Father uh, with regards to our sins, those sins of omission and commission, of failing to be and to do what God requires, of doing those things which God forbids, uh, that we understand the full wrath and penalty of God that is due to us for our sins, but we are also grieved at offending one who is so gracious and loving that we uh, fear of doing anything to to, uh, cross and to be contrary to our our gracious God, and that we desire to be more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ every day. And so we have this particular petition that follows close on the heels of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That is, keep us away from sin. Keep us from away from, from all those things that would tempt us to sin, that would drive us to sin, all those things that would be displeasing to you. Uh, now, this is part of that latter part of the Lord's Prayer. The, the first three petitions were focused on the Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, hallowed be your name being the first of them and those second two flow from that how his name is hallowed and then the latter part of the prayer these last three petitions are give us they're they're focused upon us as uh, we live our lives daily so give us this day our daily bread Uh, that's confessing our need of God sustaining us day by day we need him daily not just to feed us but as we saw last week, to forgive us. This week, we're praying that he would fence us. Feed, forgive, fence. Uh, uh, Put it another way, it could be our needs are for provision, pardon, and protection. So we are praying, uh, calling upon God to preserve us and to protect us, give us everything needed for life and, and for godliness. And so as we pray this particular petition, if we're the least bit concerned about forgiveness of our sins, of our need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ to deliver us from all our sins, then we will also be quite in fear and dread of sin. And we only want to love and serve and obey our Father. So we're going to be wary. Uh, We're going to be uh, very much on guard because we know the daily assaults against us of the world and the flesh and the devil. And this is a cry out to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. 
Now, as we open up the text uh, today and we seek to apply it, I'm heavily indebted uh, to Joel Beakey uh, and his expositions on the Heidelberg Catechism where it deals with the Lord's Prayer in this particular uh, petition. And so credit must be uh, given uh, to him for much of what I uh, bring out today. It's influenced by him or directly sourced from him. Uh, as we look at it, notice first the danger of temptation. The danger of temptation. Uh, sometimes uh, this verse is divided into two petitions. Uh, Lead us not into temptation, that's one, and deliver us uh, from evil is two. Uh, we're going to take it as a single petition here as the two parts uh, discuss positive and negative aspects of this petition. The first part is asking for preparation for the daily battle with sin. Lead us not into temptation. The second part is a plea to God to use all means to correct us, to keep us and deliver us once we are in the thick of the battle. So one, we're praying, Lord, don't stick us in the fight. Don't, don't bring us in where we're going to have to battle in this way. But the second is, Lord, if, you, if we are there, protect us and preserve us. We find ourselves in the midst of this. So this verse gives interpreters fits. It revolves around the question of how we are to interpret and lead us not into temptation. Because we know that James tells us in James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So why does Jesus have us pray that God will not do what he has promised never to do? Well, a possible answer to this is to interpret tempted as tested. And that's when we see Jesus and the temptations in uh, the desert here in Matthew uh, 4, uh, it is a testing of him. And so uh, our faith and trust in the Lord, our character is tested, it's proven, it's evaluated, it's tried, just as the military will test out its weapons at a proving ground to look at its accuracy and, and so forth, doing what it's supposed to be doing. In the same way, we are tested in our faith. We're tried to show, um, just as we would test something, to see where faults are, and where things need to be strengthened and corrected, but also to, to show us uh, where we have strengths. Now, for us as believers, our strength is always in the Lord. It is in him. Is our faith looking to Jesus? Are we trusting him? Are we focused upon him in the midst of all of these trials? These times of testing do bring out for us our strengths and weaknesses with regards to our faith and trust in the Lord. God does not entice us to sin, but he does test our character, our faith. In fact, this word lead here has the meaning in the Greek of depositing a thing in a place. Lord, please don't dump me into temptation. Don't drop me into the midst of these uh, temptations and trials. Now, this is where things can get complicated. A good trial or temptation from God's perspective can be abused and turn out to be an evil temptation from our perspective uh, by our foolishness. In other words, 
potential trials of faith for God's people can often be twisted by our sin into temptations to gratify lusts of our flesh. And so what happens? God, in his grace and mercy, puts us in a different situation and circumstance. You know, we didn't get the lesson. We didn't get, the, get that through our heads and our hearts the first go-round because we have failed in that regard. Uh, but we do have those times where God uh, tests us and uh, we, in that, are presented with some very, very tough things. Uh, i give you an example. Not long after Marie and I were married, I left my job as operations manager for a couple of radio stations. In Texas, I was uh, uh, convicted that the music we were playing wasn't morally God-honoring, and the management didn't see uh, my point in that, and so we parted ways. I resigned, uh, and I needed to work. And now having the pressure of being newly married added to the mix, uh, things got pretty tight uh, for us. One day, I found a bag of groceries and a $20 bill on our doorstep that had been left by, uh, there by friends who uh, the Lord had moved to, to help us in that way. But then there appeared to be a breakthrough in finding work. I had a, a recommendation for one job and an actual offer of another, and they would be plumb broadcasting jobs uh, for me at that stage in my career. I had a bachelor's in radio TV. I had some years of experience and in small markets, and, and here was a possibility of moving up. One was to produce the radio broadcast for an NFL team. Uh, the other to work as a weekday TV reporter and weekend sports anchor for a TV station. Uh, you know, after being in radio for a number of years and broadcasting, and he's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, we've got these two choices there. Uh, both are certainly career enhancing but both required work on the Lord's day and neither of those positions uh, were for matters of mercy or necessity. So I was under conviction that God's word was very plain on this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath and the Lord thy God. And, and looking at our, our catechisms and, and expositions of the scriptures, these were not works of mercy or necessity, as, say, someone who is a nurse or a firefighter or somebody working at the power plant. Uh, so I had before me a choice, cash and career or conscience in Christ. And remembering from 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I decline both uh, job offers. When I, and, and it was much to the bewilderment of those who were offering the jobs when I told them the why of it, they looked at me as if my nose had been eaten off by weevils. It was just, they just could not comprehend that. And, 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 and indeed, uh, uh, some of my family uh, could not believe this, and sad to say, some of the broader church world. See, in these offers, there was a trial or test that could work for good, one that Gave opportunity to prove the sincerity of my belief in the Lord's day and how to sanctify it as trusting God to be obedient to him and, and for him to provide. And that test could have turned into a temptation to sin to do evil. 
I could have easily slid over to a place where I rationalized taking either of the jobs from the standpoint of economic necessity or career advancement. I could have reasoned in my head, uh, well, let's not be legalistic about all this, and hey, who in his providence has brought these job offers to me? I could have rationalized and, and, and done all these things. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter was we did need the money. Uh, we, we did need that. And, and, but it would have meant missing out on the gathering together of the saints, of uh, worshiping with God's people. And uh, you could, I could have rationalized, maybe I could find some kind of workaround. Maybe I can engage the culture and be a witness. Maybe I should give this more serious thought. But the fact of the matter is God's word was plain. As I understood it, as I was convinced of this, you see, I could have very easily shifted from trust in the Lord, from love and obedience to my Savior and honoring of him and his commands to indulge in the consideration of this temptation to go my own way, to give in to the pride of my own heart and to lean on my own understanding. So what we have here is a prayer that he would not place us in those kinds of, of circumstances. That he would that the circumstances would just overwhelm us. It's When we're praying this, Lord, don't place me in temptation. It's a confession of just how weak we are. Of how, how tempting these things are all around us. It's just as the old strong song put it, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but thee, dear Lord. None but thee. We do find at times in our walk in the Lord, our wise father who knows how to discipline us as his dear children may take away his restraining hand that is taken down fence, as it were, so that we would fall prey to our pride and our foolishness. Our own confession of faith in chapter 5, verse 5, puts it this way. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. We must remember he never leads his people into temptation. But at times he will use these things to point out our need of him even more. Another thing we need to see in this part of the petition, but deliver us from evil. That evil sometimes is translated evil one, that is the devil. We know from Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower, some of the seed falls upon the stony path, the rocky, the rocky path. And anyone hears the word of the kingdom, Jesus says, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
God doesn't tempt his people to sin, but the devil surely does. And we need to be rescued from his clutches. Where God is real in our hearts, brothers and sisters, guess what? The devil is also going to be real as well. We fear ISIS, we fear terrorism, we fear this and that threat, but do we realize we have a mortal enemy who is right here, right now? I heard you ladies singing, a mighty fortress is our God. We do face a threat from the evil one. We've got a battle going on. Do you battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil? Is Satan real to you? Do you recognize his tempting devices, his strategies? Do you do battle with the arch enemy of the children of God? Satan is a tempter. He has all kinds of devices to destroy us. He's, he's a fisher of men, not in the good way either. And he's got a boxcar for a tackle box. And he knows exactly what to run past us. Thomas Watson, in typical Puritan Thoroughness lists 27 ways that Satan tempts people. And I'm sure that Watson didn't consider that to be an exhaustive list. I'm not going to go through them. Just, just. But what the list tells us is that Satan isn't messing around. He is constantly rattling doorknobs. He is constantly checking the windows. He is constantly seeking ways to insinuate himself. Satan does not know the hearts of men, Watson says, but he can feel their pulse and know their temper and he applies himself accordingly. He knew what David's weakness was, so he tempts him with Bathsheba. He knew what Asaph's weakness was, so he made him envious at the prosperity of the wicked in Psalm 73. He knew that Hezekiah had a weakness for covetousness, so he made him proud of his possessions. He tempted John the Baptist in prison that all his labor had been in vain. So Watson would say, so we have to ask ourselves, what is my weakness? Or weakness says. One of the ways we can find that out is what is our cherished sin? I guarantee you Satan's already probed you and found that out. He knows. He's going to use every opportunity he can to set in your pathway temptations for that particular sin. And we must not underestimate his power. He attacks from all sides. One moment he comes as an angel of light. Another time he comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour to destroy us. He comes to you and says, you know, if you were really a child of God, you wouldn't have fallen so easily last week. You wouldn't be so prayerless and so thankless. You wouldn't have such a bad record and such a bad heart. There's no hope for you. He seeks to devour you in that way. These temptations come at us through the world, through our flesh, from the devil. Satan tries to devour you with the world. All of its glitz and glamour and attractiveness and power and, and all the media and all the outward beauty of things, uh, just like with some fish, you have a, some, a very shiny lure. And you're going by, it's all sparkly or, or, or kind of has kind of a wiggly motion to it and so forth. 
uh, you're, you're fishing what you're going for. And Satan knows exactly what to troll past you. Worldliness is one of these things. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. We got a world that is, that is seeking to redefine everything according to Satan's dictionary. Calling that good which is evil and evil what God calls good. Look, when we fail to look to Christ for our cues, for what is good and true and beautiful, when we look away from his word as to how we should live and think and uh, what we consider what is right in our own eyes, and we take our cues from this God-hating, God-despising world, a system of thought and life that desperately tries to act as if there's no God, or at least that there is a God that we can still live our lives how we please. Look, to the extent we do that, we join in with them. We make accommodation to it. And guess what? We are worldly. And to the extent that it affects how we view the church and all of life, we are worldly. We need to make sure that we understand what worldly is according to God's word, not according to the standards of men. That you have to have your hair up a certain way and not wear makeup, you know, or the old thing, we don't smoke and we don't chew nor go with girls who do. You know, none of, none of those kinds of, of worldly standards. You see, what happens is that we supplant God's word with the doctrines and commandments of men. Guess who initiates that? So then Satan seeks to make you friends with the world. And this world is not our home. And yet what are we doing? We're looking at the real estate brochures all the time, aren't we? We're, we're, we're figuring out where, we're, where, where we want to be planted out. Now, yes, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. We don't get our definition and meaning and purpose and, 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 and fulfillment from this world. Our ultimate fulfillment is always Christ because if you are married to the world in that way, guess what? You're going to be oh so devastated. God says in Isaiah 48, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. And our God graciously comes and removes those things, all those vain things that charmed me most, as the hymn writer put it. He graciously pulls out from under us. (laughs) And it hurts. You see, Satan might use uh, those to deceive us. He comes as an angel of light at times. He cunningly suggests you believe the Bible. It's not so bad that you get a little bit worldly here or there, perhaps on the other hand, as he takes an ally in so-called easy believism. Satan introduces that to your neighbor sitting next to you, suggesting to your neighbor, just believe. That's all there is. And you can pretty much live the way that you want. You can have the best of both worlds. You can serve God and you can serve mammon. Nuh-uh. 
Jesus tells us. Our God is sovereign. And we see that with the boundaries he set when Satan wanted to tempt Job to turn away from God. He has a set amount of permission to work and to tempt God's people, to tempt the unconverted, and God is still in control. Thank the Lord. But as a he's powerful and a fallen angel, and he's under God's supervision and control, but he is at his work of tempting to deceive. The saint doesn't care how we fall away, how we turn away, how we drift from having a living and real and personal, intimate, saving, vital union with our Lord Jesus Christ. Any of the 27 ways suits him. He does it through tempting us and helping us to live our lives in the world and and to be a hypocrite by appearing in church on the Lord's Day as a holy person but living an unholy life all the week long or carving out areas of our lives where we are doing our own thing and not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of all. Satan doesn't care. Whatever works for him, he's happy with that. As long as it keeps you from Jesus. As long as it keeps you from growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would keep you from everything that would cause you to trust him. He doesn't want you to pray, at least not sincerely. He doesn't want you to pour out your heart because what is prayer? Prayer is addressing God, speaking with him, talking with him, dialoguing. Real prayer is communion for your soul with Christ. And he doesn't want you to search the scriptures. He'll do anything throughout the week to keep you from picking up your Bible and reading, or if you are reading it, other than just a perfunctory read-through. He doesn't want you to search the scriptures because what are the scriptures? It's God's word to us. And to have our, our thoughts and our minds and our hearts transformed and brought more and more to conformity to Christ. He's going to keep that from you. He wants to minimize the role of the word in your life. Minimize the role of prayer. Satan's uncomfortable when we get together in church. If our intended purpose is to learn of God, to sing his praises, to worship him to hear his word, to be instructed by him, because he's going to do everything he can to snatch that away, to keep us away from it. Or if we're there, to make us immediately forget it. As soon as the benediction is pronounced, and as really as soon as the word is proclaimed, and in the act of proclamation and preaching, Satan does what he can to get you to forget it, to forget that God has just been speaking to you. And so he tempts you. He tempts you to think about other things. He tempts you to think about sports, about Sunday dinner, about your business. Even while you're listening to sermons, that your mind drifts away to things licit and illicit. All those things that, that come galloping through our, our attention during that time. All those wandering thoughts. When you're tempted to think about your kids, your friends, your hobbies, even as the word of God is coming to you, recognize that ain't from the Lord. That's Satan trying to push those thoughts into your mind to distract you from Christ, from his word. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from the evil one, from all of his devices, all of his stratagems, all of his tactics. Keep me focused upon you. See, that is what we're praying here. That's why we sing, I need thee every hour. Folks, I need him every nanosecond. We need our gracious Savior to come and protect and keep us. And that is why we have such a Savior as Jesus who protects us from the world, the flesh, and from the devil. The flesh, our own desires, our own, our, 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 our own seeking of pleasing of ourselves uh, and diverting ourselves and our attention to, to <coughs> pleasing of self and, instead of serving Christ. Now, we're not being called to a life of asceticism. We all sleep on a bed of nails and, and only eat graham crackers. You know, that's that's not what, we're called to. God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but all those things that are richly to enjoy can be abused. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Praise God, we have a faithful Savior who hears our cry, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are you weak? He is your strength. Are you unrighteous? He is your righteousness. Are you hell worthy? He descended to hell to open the way to heaven. Are you foolish? He is wisdom. Are you tried? He was tempted in all points like we are and yet without sin. Are you in bondage? He has come to release the captives and sets you at liberty in him. Christ becomes everything. Do you find yourself prayerless and thankless? He is the praying and the thanking high priest who pleads your case and cause before the throne of grace 24-7, never ceasing. It is in Christ and through Christ and by Christ brought home to our hearts by God the Holy Spirit who delights to take the things of Christ and show them to us and that in Him we receive strength, centered strength, not our own abilities to withstand, but as we look to Christ and are strengthened by Him, I can do all things through whom? Christ Jesus, who what? Strengtheneth me. Day by day, moment by moment. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. But in Him, is life and that abundantly. Let's pray.